Jake, what was your favorite character that you've actually played? Oh, okay. So, okay. I've got two. Uh, one is an old one that I, I feel like both of you guys have remembered. Uh, it was uh, – I was playing like a Matthew McConaughey type fighter uh, that was transporting a mysterious figure in chains. Um, and this was a lot oh, yeah. – this is like one of our first games – um, and I, we yeah, never I finished yeah. the campaign, but like, that was like the king of the kingdom that was like trying to be transported. Um, and I eventually made it, like I made that character an NPC in my Rise of Tiamat homebrew. And it was, it was super great. Mm. Cause they're like all, you know, obviously the players are like, okay, this guy's a really capable fighter, but why does he have this random guy chained up to him in a hood? Um, and like the big reveal is like this, this guy is like the head Kingsguard who, as the, the capital is being sacked by dragon cultists, like escaped with the King who, and had to make the King like in as inconspicuous as possible and just put him in a hood and was like transporting him. Um, yeah. it was like, oh, it was, it was, it was a really fun concept that I really enjoyed as a player that I eventually made into an NPC. Um, I think his name was Ridley. Um, and then another one, I can't remember their name, but it was a – we did a one-shot at level eight, I believe. And it was three levels in Fighter and I think five levels in Valor Bard. Um, and yeah, the three levels were in Battlemaster Fighter. And so I was I, I was literally like this warlord that could just bark out orders and give out um, expertise die or whatever they're called for Battlemaster. Uh, and David, you would know. What are they called? Yeah. Is, are they called Marshall? Uh, maneuvers. maneuvers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you can, like, do maneuvers for certain people. Some of them are, like, inspiring. And so, like, I, I found out, like, I could give them, like, a martial maneuver inspiring thing. It's like a D10. Then I could give them an, an additional Valor Bard inspiration thing. That's a D8. So, like, when they do their next roll, they roll a D20 and a D10 and a D8. And so it was, like, they're here. And, like, and it was so fun because I was so support. Um, and I think the Dungeon Master made it to where um, – they they couldn't use the inspiration die unless they followed the orders I gave. So it was like oh. this really cool like like I was like kind of barking orders but not doing any attacking. Um, oh, it was so fun. It fit me as a person really well. Like just barking orders um, and just being like like uh, giving charismatic uh, commands, uh, but not really being in the thick of it. But oh my gosh, it was it was a really really fun character. That's a really fun combination. Yeah, and it makes me understand why there there's like a big cry for people like we want a warlord class, you know, like and it's like I I made the warlord class. Like it literally is just multi-classing battlemaster with valor bard. And like you have essentially like a warlord, like commander type archetype. It's like you don't need that. Yeah, it it, it was it was a blast. Yeah, one David. Um as far as role playing goes, I had a character I played in a game, and he was loosely based off of Oberyn Martell, and he was pretty fun to play. Oh, as. He was just a, a standard fighter who was who used spears, and he was really fun. But I, I don't have any like specific funny stories or moments. <laughs> just probably critting, um, critting a lot and doing a ton of damage. That's how David <laughs> has fun. Um, <laughs> so for mine, um, I have two, just like Jake, um, but purely because of role play i think that one of them was like a, I, I you know i don't even know what classes they were it was several years ago 
Um, but the dynamic was me and one of my very good friends. <laughs> I played as um, what, whoever he was. He was Martin Freeman from <laughs> The Hobbit. So he was a very nervous oh. and anxious no, individual. He was, he was he was Jim from the the British office from the British office. Yeah, and, and he was, was Jim, Jim from, from the from American, American office. office. That's right. And it became strangely okay, anyway. office themed. But I loved our relationship. <laughs> it was really funny. And I just remember um, there was like a love interest for there was like the Pam character for my character. <laughs> but for some reason, David allowed my other friend to play as her. And so the romance was always really awkward and never quite worked out. And it was so sad and funny. Um, and it was great. And then the other character... Um, <clears throat> the other character was also with that same friend, but we decided to be father and son. <laughs> but we had been reunited after like 20 years. Oh my gosh, yes. And so I had been a pit fighter, like in the gladiatorial pits. It was like this um, dark sun <laughs> type of world that David was running. And so it was about us trying to reconnect as father and son, even though like he was like this... this um, noble kind of guy very educated and nice and then i was this just trailer trash kind of person and it was so funny and it was great so yeah that, those are my two i don't know their names i don't okay. know their classes those were yeah those yeah i i'm remembering one we did this randomly over skype like a year ago where david was a dungeon master it was like this kind of egyptian uh hieroglyphic oh, yes. type archaeologist and you were <laughs> You were like this this strong, like Indiana Jones type character, and I was your wife. That's right. <laughs> oh my god. I feel like I just need a DM for you guys more because that's where I get like the funniest characters. No, I I I've pitched this. Um I think I yeah, I really think we should do the uh the randomization feature on DD Beyond and like really try to screw each other up. Like by making the worst class <laughs> and then having two of us play the other one DM. <laughs> That'd be fun. Oh no, so it won't be random. Like I think we should make the other one's character. Oh, okay. And we can choose every possible. part of it. No, I <laughs> love so that. <laughs> <laughs> I remember because we were bickering like a married couple because we're both married and like it just comes yes. naturally now. Um, and, but it was like really... Really funny. Good. That so. sounds like a really fun Patreon exclusive oh, episode. Oh, in the yeah. future. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a podcast about tabletop RPGs, game design, and advice for all game masters. This is episode 48, Role Playing as a Player. All right, well, let's dig into it. So I, I think we should talk about something that determines the level of role-playing that any of us will do at a table is discerning what the level of role-playing the table is at. Um, if you have a, a group, I, I think we, obviously we've talked about this before, this like role-playing game, there's role, play, and game. Role is like the, this this hardcore thespian actor. Play is like this like I just want to hang out with my friends. And game is like the grognard type of like min maxer. Um, and so you want to figure out where on that kind of sliding scale the table is at, right? Like you don't want to go full out thespian character actor like um, <laughs> while everyone else is just like drinking a lot and just is trying to do the most damage. Um, it, that might not fit well, right? So I think um, the first step of like determining role playing 
as a player is is looking at your table and being like, is this um what does this table need in regards to role playing? And vice versa is is true as well. Like you don't want to be the one guy who just cares about min maxing when everyone else is clearly having a night of improv. It's it's reading the table. Just read the room. <laughs> so I, I think for me the one of the the main things, if if I guess we gotta start off by saying this, like this episode is geared more towards players. Um, where most of our episodes are kind of dungeon master, game master advice type things. Uh, this one is like, hey, how can you be a better player? How can you role play better um, from the other side of the dungeon master screen? Um, mm-hmm. And I think the main thing that you can do to to become a better role player as a player um, is to be willing to fail. And I mean that in two ways. The first way is failing as a player like being able to put yourself out there being able to make a joke um uh being able to just be like okay this is whatever happens happens at the game table and realizing you're in a safe space and you can do whatever you want and you trust the people around you aren't going to make fun of you that like that you're in this this comfortable position where you can improv like like you can improvise freely um and the other parts uh, so that's the player. The other part as a, is as a character. Um, this is where I've realized how much I love role playing is because when I make a backstory, I will make a family, like a wonderful, beautiful family with a wife and two uh, twin girls. Um, and it's 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 this wonderful, beautiful family. But I make that backstory expecting the dungeon master to have the villain dangle them over a cliff in the third act. I'm expecting mm-hmm. that. And in fact, I'm welcoming it because that adds to the drama. And so I think that's a really important part about player role-playing and improvisation is that you have to be willing to add details into your backstory or to your character where the character is put in a bad situation. Um, and that's very hard in 5th edition where it's like this heroic role-playing game where you just slay the dragon and you feel great and you high-five your friends. But... I think what makes good dramatic moments is having severely horrific stuff happen to your character and your character's family and your character's guild and your character's hometown. Um, and so I think um, my main advice, uh, just to kind of start off this, this whole conversation, is be willing to fail both as a player and as a character. I heard a very interesting piece of advice a long time ago and it's it's a little crass i think but somebody said um playing D is like having sex you'll get more out of it if you put more into it and i'm sure there's other things we could compare it to but like if you just want to sit there and make and you expect the dm to entertain you completely i yeah. guarantee you'll have less fun than if you like go into it saying like no i'm going to contribute i'm going to come up with collaborate uh, plans and ideas and characters yeah, we're going to work together and we're all going to have more fun. And, and it's exponential yeah. when you have more players willing to contribute. If you're uh-huh. looking to just be entertained, you might as well just play a video game at that point. Mm-hmm. Just because that that way you get more entertainment value out of it. Because part of the payoff of participating in D&D is the participation aspect where you're all working together to build uh, this story or this this arc, this narrative, this game. And if you're not actively participating or wanting to contribute in the ways that which everyone else is trying to build the story, then it's going to be lacking on some end. 
and you're not going to get as much out of it and the other players aren't going to get as much out of it. Yeah, I I love the role play and the dramatic and I want bad things to happen to me and I think that's a that is the difference between someone who wants a more heroic high fantasy game and someone who wants a dark gritty realistic role play heavy type game. Um because I I've seen players um like my like myself. If I roll a nat 1, that's exciting. Like I beg the dungeon master. I'm like, "Let me let me tell you how I mess this up." Like, let me tell you how I blunder and fail so gloriously that it's pathetic, right? And the same thing, I add stuff into my backstory. It's like, I, it, tell me how my, my family is is kidnapped and held hostage by the main villain. And like all this stuff, I'm giving the Dungeon Master uh, hooks to make it more dramatic and more bad for me. And I like that because it's not real. And I think that the main thing that separates someone who wants to roleplay and someone who doesn't is that willingness to to allow failure, to allow pain, to allow suffering of the character. Because a lot of times I'll see players that are doing really well, they have good characters and everything, but they roll like a string of bad rolls. And you look at them and they're having a bad time. And they're mm-hmm. like, I hate, like, uh, this is so stupid. Like, they're, they're angry at the system. They're angry at Nat 1s. They're angry at the Dungeon Master. They're angry that they're not succeeding. And that is something that I think is critical mm. if you want to be a good role player is accepting failure. Because for me, I'm like, hell yeah, I want I want to have my leg cut off. I want to just like – I want to be in terrible situations. I don't want to be this glorious holding up the head of the dragon I slayed every session, you know? Yeah. I think there's an important distinction here between – wanting a good story and just wanting to win all the time because i think there's a fallacy or incorrect expectation from some players even that i've played with um, who falsely believe that to have one is to have the other like i am a super person who never fails therefore (laughs) i'm having fun and that's very very video gamey to me like, if I'm playing, yeah. let's say, Assassin's Creed, my goal is to explore the entire map, unlock every piece of awesome gear, and make it so I never have to be challenged, so I can just walk through the game and win. But if we're looking at stories, Luke Skywalker um, very rarely rolls a natural 20. In fact, I would yeah. argue that he was failing um, a lot of that movie, especially if you look at all of the trilogies as a whole. Um, or really any character like uh, there's story uh, analysis you can look at and there's a simple story archetype called a man falls in a hole and it's just <laughs> a man is living his life he, he falls in a hole he gets in some situation that's bad and then he climbs out and this is the format for a lot of stories that you're familiar with um, uh, I think that Groundhog Day is one of them there's I mean you can you can look this up online it's it's very common but it's important to be willing to take the bad and roll with it. So like even in um, by rolling attributes and not having your choice of the, the most perfect uh, stat array, um, what are you going to do with it? How will you overcome that? Um, and answering that question, I think, is going to make your experience more interesting. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. With that, let's get into uh, kind of how 5th edition and, uh, you know, obviously a lot of systems handle it with the backgrounds of your character. Because obviously the background influences your how, how you play the role of your character. So let's talk about the pros and cons of a background. How, how do you guys like your players to do it? Ooh. 
Well, so if we're talking about 5e, obviously we have the uh, strength spawns, flaws, and uh, I always forget that last one. But the four personality traits that define your character. Ideals. I think Ideals, generally... traits, spawns, and flaws. Oh, yeah. yes. And the quality of Skype just got so much better. Yeah. <laughs> um, I personally do enjoy a random or a semi-randomized character background. Because for the same reason that our, our random table feature works, like it can spark your imagination in a way that you yes. probably wouldn't have chosen for yourself. Yes. But then uh, I like the freedom uh, of saying, oh, I don't like this and I'm going to choose something else. Yeah, I, I think um, I, we talked about this before, the, the psychology of just like, just roll first, then you can choose. Because sometimes you see the dice, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's a seven. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, I wasn't thinking that way. And it kind of adds to it. Um, and for me, I love the yeah. uh, the improvisational aspect of it, of like, okay, oh, you're a pig farmer who's out of pigs. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's like there's oh. there's this kind of like you're you're, you're I need I like more piggies being backed into a corner. I want to be backed into a corner, and so yeah, I, I like the using the dice, but then being able to kind of spread out from that if you if you feel like you're too much backed into a corner. Um, I'm also reminded of Dungeon Crawl Classics that has a hundred like a D100 list of careers. Um, oh, and it's yes. all kinds of like crappy medieval jobs, like a lamplighter or a gong farmer. If you want to look that up. Uh, it's just it's a guy who shovels poop. It's just, yes. You just shovel poop. Um, and and so having to make a character, we're like, well, all I've ever done is like sharpen uh, shears for a blacksmith, and now I'm an adventurer. Like that's that's funny, and it, uh, it, but I don't think it's necessarily going to last you very long in terms of like satisfaction in your character 5e has more of a heroic bent and it's uh it's gonna be like oh well i was you know an explorer from shanghai and here i am now backgrounds are interesting for me because the big thing that i don't like is i don't like coming in with two pages of backstory Mm -hmm. i think i would like to i like to have just a few quick notes when and it's something that i've started to adopt is just have a few highlights of your background like you have an estranged brother mm-hmm. and it's like why do you why is your brother estranged you know all of that or um or you haven't seen your father in many years for whatever reason and you just you don't want to define it too much and as you play the game you can start to define these things and let it come out naturally rather than having all of these pre-written background story elements that you have to somehow try to figure out how to weave in it's it can more naturally just flow out and you get a more dynamic character i feel when you when you fill it out as you go along there's a lot to be said uh for just a single sentence of a background there's a game that i'm really loving right now called the black hack second edition and their background creation is um what they just call background inspiration and it's a d12 table and i'll just read you some excerpts and these are just made to be a, a starting point to launch you into really um building a few more bullet points like david's saying just a few more ideas or even going way deep into it um and maybe using this even to jump into your 5e trade sponsored flaws so here is um one of them raised as a poor street child very simple urchin like um one that i like is um your reputation has been ruined by vices ah my favorite (laughs) my favorite my vices and then the the last one i'll talk about is just you were sold to a wizard as a child oh and so something as simple as a sentence that's just describing you in very 
very simple terms. Uh, yeah, so it doesn't have to be in-depth. It doesn't have to be um, a novel of backstory. And the most important thing, I think, is just not nailing down every single detail of your character. And that way the GM has the capability and the flexibility of coming in and saying, well, maybe like your brother is actually the villain of this part of the world. Yeah. Or maybe this wizard that captured you is in the party now. Yeah, and that's yeah. what's interesting to me is there's a lot more flexibility with what you can do if you just say that you were sold to a wizard as a child because those can have drastically different meanings to a character. Whereas one... Maybe you were sold to a wizard who does blood magic and they were just going to kill you and use you for your life essence. Mm -hmm. Whereas another, maybe you were a noble highborn and the wizard knows that and he bought you to protect you because your family was destroyed. Or they apprenticed you. Yeah, or they apprenticed you. And there's like, there's so many different things you can do. But if you define it so early on, then it's set in stone and there's no malleability there. Yeah, yeah. I think um, there's, there's an art to this of of making a backstory that is full and vibrant, but also open-ended. I feel like, um, well, I, I guess I should ask the question, uh, what do you think the perfect backstory is? Like if you had the, a perfect group of, of, you know, four or five players, what would you want them to give you optimally? Do you guys just want a sentence? I mean, is that it? Or what do you guys want? I mean, I would accept a sentence as some, something as simple as that, like, oh, I was a, a guard for a caravan. Um, but if somebody wants to get into it, I, really, I think I just have sort of a maximum word count that is very difficult for me to work with. And so um, in my last campaign, and I have really creative players, and they really wanted to write these in-depth like character histories. Um, but I felt hamstrung by them because they're like, oh, like I was from this village and um, like all, these things happened to me. And I'm like, well, I don't even know how to work this into the story because it's hyper-specific. Clearly, there's like a story beat that they want to have happen. And to me, it felt constraining. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I'm not living up to their expectation of that detailed backstory, which was like at least a full page of uh, novelization, essentially. Interesting. Yeah, for me, for me, I've decided that I want to start doing pre-made characters for my games. So I have a lot of the general ideas for backgrounds and they, they can fill out kind of the minor details and all the fluff, but I have more of the broad strokes so that I can more easily manipulate the story and campaign rather than having to twist the campaign to my players. Huh? I think for me, somewhere between a paragraph and a page is is what I like because I think the worst case scenario is that whatever specifics they write down about their village or their their tribe or their backstory that the worst case scenario that just becomes part of the lore of my world and that's that's great in and of itself I I've actually had um, players that have had like advanced backstories but they were you know on the Isle of Cholt the whole time um, and so their backstory just yeah, had no way of getting in um and so they ended but then the next campaign uh though that same tribe they talked about or the blood ritual or whatever they were talking about their backstory that didn't show up in that one suddenly could show up like you know because it's a part of the lore and so yeah i don't think i I don't want to penalize my players for for writing a bunch of stuff you know like i want to be be up front with them to be like yeah i'm not going to you know, especially if it's some crazy exotic excursion, like I'm not going to be able to 
implement everything you've written in your backstory. But I want to encourage you to like be a part of building the lore of this world, to be a part of the world building. Um, and so just go nuts yeah. and I'll take what I need. Yeah, and and not to sound like I'm I'm discouraging players from writing this stuff because it's great. Obviously, like if somebody wants to write a, a little novel about their character's life so far, um, I'm not going to stop them. Um, but you, like what you said, Jake is just totally perfect. Like be upfront and say like, hey, look, we probably won't get to this. We won't get to resolve this amazing backstory yeah. you have in this campaign or even in like the next two. Um, but it'll be part of the world, and maybe we can like refer back to it and find a way to roll it into the world. And yeah. With caveats, of course. For sure, yeah. So I, I guess this leads us into integration um, with backstory and the tone of the Dungeon Master's worlds. Um, so let's talk about how um, to integrate character backstories and just like character concepts into the actual game. Well, so as a, a very picky DM myself who was um, not allowing a lot of exotic races, just make sure your idea is compatible with the world. Because if somebody's coming in and saying, like, I want to be the Genasi, like the fire Genasi who's going to like save the world. Um, and I'm like, well, we're running essentially the Game of Thrones and there's no place <laughs> for a fire guy. He's already um, That can be a problem. And so <laughs> I am Azori High. No, it's not going <laughs> to. It's not going to fly. So um, just just communicate and say like, hey, well, if you can't be this, I would accept like these type of characters. Like maybe this is something that we can all be happy with. Mm -hmm. I think that the biggest thing is that it needs to be a conversation that you have with your dungeon master rather than just I want to do this and they're trying to do this. You need to have more of a discussion and work it together to, you know, ask questions about the world and try to see if you can integrate your character into the world by talking with your dungeon master. Like that's the probably the easiest thing you can do. Yeah. Yeah. I aligning it with the tone the dungeon master is going for. I think any good dungeon master is going to be like, okay, this is going to be like a, a gritty dark game of Thrones type adventure, or this is going to be some wide ranging heroic high fantasy Lord of the Rings type adventure. And so you can fit in your character backstory according to how you, the tone that is conveyed by the dungeon master. I think that conversation between dungeon master and player should be continual. Um, it should be occurring at all times behind the scenes uh, to, to make sure the tone is aligned. The story arcs are aligned. Yeah. Like that's, that's not cheap. So Jake, what if I came to you, what if, Jake, what if I came to you with the idea that I want to play as um, a turtle? I'm adolescent. I have three brothers. We have a oh. rat mentor. Oh. Um, <laughs> you like pizza? You're I'm just a big meme. A right? Like I want painter. to have a meme character. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. So I think you have to convey that up front. A lot of a lot of parties are like, hell yeah, get in here. Look, this is the t teenage mutant ninja turtle meme. Ha <laughs> ha. Let's play. And they're fine with it, right? For me, that's like a huge no. Um, but no. it just depends on the group. I don't <laughs> I don't want to say like you're you're playing DD wrong, because that's impossible. But for me, that's like a huge turnoff. And I think it's very good for you to bring that up. Yeah. Like I so you're I, saying I can't 
So you Correct. wouldn't allow yeah, me to you be can't. A, you can't. a half <laughs> Regardless of what you say. Who is a, a bard <laughs> who lives in a swamp Somebody who can talk no, to animals. No, and one of the animals no. he talks don't to is gay. a donkey. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God. No. Yeah. So when uh, it, I think it, it's good to shut down stuff like that. For, for In my opinion, for my game, I want a semblance of seriousness. And so, yeah. Um, I think it just depends on who you're playing with, right? And, and like, it's like, okay, hey, we're, we're here to just party and and meme around and have a bunch of jokes, you know, gamers rise up or you, you have a game that's, you know, much more serious and, you know, there's, you can't play Dungeons and Dragons wrong, uh, but you should just be upfront and have uh, clear communications with, with all your players of like, okay, what are you doing? What is, what's the plan? What does your arc look like? What do you, how do you foresee this ending? Um, and all that communication will help everyone align with, just help everyone be on the same page. And sometimes you don't realize how important names are to the tone of your world. I remember, oh. um, and I can't believe I'm about to admit this, but one time I tried to write uh, World of Warcraft fan fiction based on uh, the escapades of me and my cousin playing in the game. Yes! Um, and But I was writing it and I'm like, the names are so silly because MMO names are inherently like not serious um, and in general. <laughs> And so I realized I had to change all the names of these characters into something that, that they weren't. And then that changed the type of story I wanted to write. And so if, <laughs> it, it's amazing like how uh, delicate a D&D world can be, but also how resilient other worlds can be. Because if we have like, you know, Mothar and Gragnock and then like Jim Jenkins. Uh, <laughs> or XX Night Hunter 69. <laughs> <laughs> um, How'd you find like, my user? I, I know in certain like OSR games, they're they're less less worried about it interesting yeah that yeah that that is really weird because yeah it does like both of them have the kind of the symbiotic relationship where they affect each other like the the silly Mm -hmm. names can make the genre more silly but also the genre itself can almost like make your silly name feel inappropriate (laughs) yeah yeah um moving along i think uh something we've talked about a lot before uh that is i think really really important um, for starting uh, new campaigns and character backstories is melding backstories together. Uh, we've talked about the game Fiasco um, and that there you have a relationship with the person to your right and left at the table. Um, have you guys utilized this? Is this something you, you want to see in your games? I don't think I've... Yeah, I, for sure I would I would be willing to use it. I don't think I have used it. Um, there's other there's another system I use from Dungeon World called Bonds that does the same kind of thing. And all you do is you write down a, a truth or an absu- assumption about one other character, and then whenever that is either proved wrong or proved right, you sort of gain experience from that until you oh. have have learned everything there's to know about that person, and then you make a new bond with that character. So think of like Gimli and Legolas, like they have beliefs about each other that are probably not true, and their bond is different at the end of the book than at the uh, the beginning. I thought I'd die fighting side by side with an elf. What about side by side with a friend? Very, you know, seasoned role players, um, and what they'll do is they'll have this insane backstory, right, where it's like all of this, you know, trauma in the childhood and all this, you know, plain planes walking and 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 all of this crazy nonsense being tortured by you know mind flayers you know just just piling on the, these these crazy sad tropes uh that that add so many hooks that i'm just delighted to have available but 
all the characters are so well defined and you know they're they're obviously a hero in their own story um and so th- the key is with these expert role players is somehow linking them together to make it um to to make an adventuring party work because oftentimes it's like yeah you'll have all these you know, crazy characters, you know, they're all level three, but they have all these insane backstories. And it's like, yeah, why would this guy who was just saved from the, the plane of fire, uh, why would this fire genasi who's been tortured for 10 years, uh, want to help this, this random rogue who's been framed for the murder of the, the, the mayor of the city. It's just like this, mm-hmm. it's like both backstories are incredibly compelling and wonderful and delightful. And I'm excited to have a campaign with all those hooks as a dungeon master. But how do they fit together? And that's why I think it's really, really important to have these connections and meld backstories together. Where it's like, um, Fiasco has a, a million different kinds of these. Like, okay. I was this guy's pastor and he was my uh, in my congregation or uh, we both were in a job that went wrong or uh, these two mm-hmm. people are brother and sister or, oh, these two people are um, uh, one saved the other one's life. You know, it's like all these little just bonds, just, you know, just quick, almost Lego brick connections that allow even these insane backstories that are so wonderful and crazy to connect to the mundane reality of each other, which is the point of an adventuring party eventually. Yeah, for sure. So as far as bringing in personal arcs to a campaign, how do you go about doing that? And this is something I've uh, struggled with as well. So I'm curious to hear Jake's solution. I think this is something that I, <laughs> we've talked about this a lot. I have the benefit of time of playing in my world for just quite often, quite frequently for quite a lot of time (laughs) um and so story arcs tend to be resolved right like so i think these are things that um as a dungeon master when you're playing through campaigns you'll be like okay there's a lull in the story what can i bring in and that's when you look back at their backstories and go okay what is relevant what can be brought back um what could be that that quick hit of nostalgia like oh it's an npc from the beginning that was that you owed a debt to but you paid him back you know like you know anything um i think the personal arcs take time um and it's really hard to do personal arcs when you don't have that kind of time so i don't know how how i can frame this in a positive light um (laughs) but i would say as a player right because this episode is about role playing as a player um you want to give as many hooks as possible And like I said earlier, the worst case scenario is some of these hooks just become part of the backstory, the lore of this world. Um, But some of them can be really good cannon fodder for the Dungeon Master to use um, in little side plots or part of the main story, part of the main plot. Um, And so giving as much of those as possible, I think, is is, is really good. Um, And they can be super satisfying um, to see like an arc finished. Um, I, I know they do this a lot in Critical Role, right? Like there, there is like, you know, where they have seven or eight player characters um, and they'll kind of be like, okay, that we've kind of hit a lull in the story. It's like, okay, this person needs to go do this. Are we as a group willing to help? And obviously it's like, yeah, you know, sometimes it's no, but you know, most of the time it's like, yeah. And uh, yeah, you can go do this kind of personal quest. But like I said, it takes time. It takes effort. It takes commitment. Um 
but yeah, all this stuff, add it to your backstory and it, it a good dungeon master will bring it back later. I'm surprised that 5e doesn't do this. And I feel like they were so close with the traits, bonds, flaws, and ideals. Mm. Um, but the main thing, if you want to have a good story arc, is what does your character want? Like, what do I want in yeah. the long term? What do I want in the short term? And define that, even on a, on a scene-by-scene basis. If you go and you read the Fiasco rulebook, which is a very thin, digest-sized uh, booklet, they always make you say, in this scene, what is your character trying to get? And I think that yeah. knowing like, oh, well, my my noble character wants to reclaim the throne or like my druid character wants to um, just like go live in the, the druid forest and have a, a grove of, of other druids who help them do druid stuff. Right. Like, even if it, whatever it is, defining it and knowing it and working toward it as often as possible is crucial. Uh, the other thing I would yeah. suggest is uh, it's more DM advice, but just shine a light on one character a week. And say, like, you're the main character yes. in this episode. And, like, we're just going to we're gonna focus on your backstory, your interactions, your characters. And obviously everybody else is there. But everyone will have their time to shine as the campaign progresses. Yes, yes. I think that's really important. Another thing uh, that I think is important is uh, <laughs> I've had a player in one of my games uh, go, I'm never having a family again. Uh, <laughs> because in the last campaign, I kidnapped his family and held them ransom. And, um, and I, I was really bummed because like, ah, like that's the point of a family. And it's that, that's so sick and terrible. It's like the <laughs> point of a family is to have them dangling over a cliff held by the villain, you know? <laughs> but I think that goes to what I was talking about earlier is like to be a good player, like to really, to be a good role player, um, is to be able to accept risks and to put things in your backstory that, you know, is just delicious bait that the dungeon master is going to gobble up and turn it into misery for you. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I think um, we often talk about like the, the the shadow orphan um, and how it's like, I have no family. I never had family and I'm an orphan and my parents were killed and I'm so angry about it. I know. Yeah. I I have no connections to anyone, but I'm mad about it. (laughs) Um, And, and it's, it's sad because it's like, um, you know, having those connections is super interesting. I think we we talked about it in a certain episode, um, but they in uh, the Xanathar's Guide tables about a family. It's just wild. I, I implore anyone to roll on those tables and be like, oh, my gosh, I have uh, a father who's lawful neutral and a, a mother who's chaotic good. And uh, I have seven siblings. Two of them are twins. And, you know, you're looking at all this stuff. You're like, oh, my gosh. Like, the, you, you're, you have this rich family life. And and it adds so much to the backstory. And it doesn't have to be like, okay, Dungeon Master, here's my family to murder, to progress the plot. Like, it can be this meaningful thing <laughs> that you return to or send gold back to um, that is that is really interesting. In, in one of my games, I had a, uh, a goblin. Uh, Will, I know you love them. Uh, it was a goblin yes. gunslinger. Uh, and so he wore this cowboy hat and had he had this revolver, this huge like 44 Magnum revolver that he was a goblin. So he was small and held it like a shotgun. <laughs> and, oh my um, gosh. <laughs> and, and this guy um, was was kind of this greedy goblin, um, but he was like, you know, a good fighter. And every every time they went back to town, he sent almost all of his gold back to uh, an orphanage. 
that was all like goblins that were being kind of like saved by the the kingdom by the republic um and he sent like you know eventually like thousands of gold back to and i'm like wow like that's that's amazing right like you have this whole backstory um that like you're you're contributing to and it's meaningful and it's like yeah family and connections and like the mundane reality like do you have a wife like that stuff is important in role-playing and it's surprisingly underutilized um let's talk about some ways to stand out as a player um and maybe this is more if you're experienced and you've played a few times but the number one piece of advice i would give to players who want to up their role-playing ability is um think about and ask yourself if this game were a movie we were watching, what actor is playing my character? Yes. And when I, yes. so often I will be like two or three sessions into a campaign and I stop and I ask all the players, like, who's playing you in the movie? And it's like this light comes on and they're like, oh my gosh, it's Nicolas Cage is playing. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Cole again. Or whoever. It's always Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody's like, um, I had somebody who was played by like Christian Bale or like um, Ra's al Ghul, what's his name? The guy who plays Liam him. Neeson. Liam Neeson is a really good pick, um, and sometimes it's like sillier, but so often it will inform how you role play them and how you make decisions. Because chances are you made a character that already is going to fit with a role this actor has played, but in the past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm trying mm. to think of the the, the else, players Jake? that I'm trying to think of the players what they okay so. My players. I'm just going to give you the actors that they believe they're playing. In. One is it's the it's a Yuntai rogue, um, with one level in warlock, uh, mechanist. Um, he is uh, played by Ian McShane. Um, oh my gosh, Deadwood. I know who that is. Uh, no. Yeah, super interesting. Um, a new character that we have is a fire genasi older uh, wizard, uh, and his name is Cinder, and he is played by uh, Tommy Lee Jones. So he has this kind of southern okay. drawl. Um, uh, there's another one. He is a, a druid barbarian multi-class. Um, there's kind of a, this young buck, like crazy, super powerful guy who's played by Jason Momoa. Um, it fits super oh, well. Oh, heck yeah. Um, yeah. And then, uh, oh my gosh. Uh, the last one is a blood hunter uh, who dual wields swords, uh, who's played by... Mads Mikkelsen. Mads Mikkelsen. Dang yes. It. He's played by Mads Mikkelsen. And it's like, yeah. And all of them, wow. it fits so perfectly. And so, yeah, I, I truly recommend this. Um, even almost if you do it, you don't have to like wait and do it later. Like from the start, be like, okay, I'm trying to act like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like, oh, I can do the chopper. It's not a tumor. You know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no but like i think this um anything that gives you kind of guideposts almost uh i'm thinking of like in a bowling alley the like uh the bumpers <laughs> anything that gives you those bumpers, <laughs> is that how you bowl jake uh, oh yeah i i hate bowling i can only do it with bumpers. <laughs> <laughs> i think so my favorite use of this was a character that i played and it was the description of my character is I was a Rodian from Star Wars, basically the Greedo race. And the the actor was Nicolas Cage, just in really bad <laughs> makeup. makeup. And Will did a great impression of of it. Yeah, and if you well, want to hear that impression, hear you go listen to our Star Wars episode. Oh, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, 
uh, another thing that I just want to echo from earlier is this doesn't have to be good. It just has to be consistent. Um, one thing that I really push new players, uh, all my players with, is I want you to have a voice for your character that is not the voice of you. So mm-hmm. when you are talking in character, it should sound different than you. Right, so if I'm if I'm a rogue multi-class fighter who's in a game, like I can't be like, hey dungeon master, uh, does this go north and south? And it's like, yeah, it's like okay, uh, hey guys, let's go north and south. It's like there's no role playing there. It's like the meta game is, I'm fine with a little bit of meta gaming, but it has to be separate from the game itself, um, and you do that via voice, um, and so. You know, even if you're not willing to do some crazy accent, like, just be willing to make your voice deeper. Just be like, yeah, my guy always sounds like this. And then you go, okay, Dungeon Master, uh, is this, where does the corridor go? It turns this, okay. Uh, Yeah, I think we should go forward and then go left. You know, it's like, that doesn't take much effort. Um, But it, it, you are differentiating your, your, who you are from the character that you are playing the role of. Yeah, it's important. I think it just as a communication tool, having some difference in how you speak to the DM versus outside of the game is is really important. Yeah. So I, I think let, let's talk about some of those. What are some verbal anomalies? Like what are some easy, you know, obviously not everyone's going to be able to do a French uh, accent fluently. Um, but like what are just some easy ways to like differentiate um, your player talking from you as a uh, or your character talking from you as a, a player talking? I mean, just raising or lowering your voice is one of them, like you said, Jake. Um, like, if you're an elf, maybe your voice is up here, and, and you're like, GM, uh, which way down the corridor? This is where I want to go, right? Like, it's, it's yes. so little effort on my part, and uh, and I think I was still sneaking a British accent in there. Uh, that's just me. <laughs> you but, were? <laughs> like, I, I'm putting in, like, 1% effort, um, and, and already the GM can, can clearly tell when things are in or out of game. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a stickler. I love accents. Uh, anyone who can do any kind of accent, even if it's somewhere from, you know, I'm living in Kentucky, which is, you know, just barely on the edge of the South. Um, and so some of my players uh, are able to do like a real good Southern accent. That's fine. That's wonderful. As long as I can differentiate it, um, any kind of accent, even if it's like a, a timid, strange accent, um, even if it's a robotic voice whatever as long as it is different than your normal voice and i can tell the difference my next favorite one is bad impressions i've probably mentioned this before but um on the dvd commentary for futurama the actor who does the uh, he does the voice of homer simpson but in futurama he also did the robot devil um that voice was based on a really crappy impression of uh captain hook from the peter pan animated movie and once you know that you can kind of tell what he was doing but he says um if it's so different like nobody's saying oh that's a bad impression they're just saying that's a funny voice yeah and so if you If you're like, well, I'm going to do like my worst George W. Bush, like maybe the mayor now sounds like, I mean, like whatever I can do that's just, it's different, but it's unrecognizable. The bartender is going to sound like Clinton. He's just going to be like, "Uh, yeah, how are you doing there, boy? Oh, nice. Oh, no. See, it's All of the NPCs are just poor impressions of presidents. No, but that's the thing. If they don't know. Right? Like, if they don't know, like, they, who's going to know if you're like, that I'm going to have the bigliest wall. We're going to make it this <laughs> Oh, no. You know, I knew that was coming. <laughs> okay. They'll never know. That one might be a little on the nose. 
that was almost kind of a Bernie Sanders pretending to be Trump. That was yeah, interesting. That, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That was a world's colliding. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I think, that, like you said, the difference between uh, a, a strange accent and a bad impression is just commitment. <laughs> like, it's mm-hmm. like, it, mm-hmm. like, if you just continue doing it, it's like, okay, that's not a bad JFK anymore. That's just a strange voice. Um, and so uh, this is something that I would recommend to anyone who's like trying to maybe experiment as a dungeon master. I know this is about players, uh, but, but like anyone who's trying to, uh, experiment with, with different voices, think of an impression from when you were young, like impersonate, like your gym teacher or like your, your weird history teacher or, um, your strange swim coach, whatever like they might have some weird mannerisms just like funnel that and you have so much source material just funnel that no one's gonna know um and and it it can be wonderful because you have so much source material and people are just gonna be like where did you get this very specific bit (laughs) and it'll just be wonderful (laughs) another thing i think is really important uh which is why i very much dislike online games of 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 D or any role-playing games uh is the whole nature of body language um, I think you can convey so much with with your your hand movements and just your, your body language that cannot be conveyed over Skype or something like that. Um, and I think that can add a ton to – I mean it's sad. We're, we're talking via Skype right now, so I can't show you guys the crazy just like <laughs> – Come on over here, Barley. And like just this this is this you don't see that this shaking that my body is doing. Body language is so I mean it's such a visceral part of communication in general. Um really lean into it um whenever you're role playing um because it adds a lot to it. Um I have an example of some of the most powerful uh body language in D&D was in a campaign I ran I think last summer. Um and there was the Thrykreen were a big faction in the game. And they couldn't, the players couldn't speak Thrykreen because the Thrykreen don't speak a language, but they communicate via sign language. But the Thrykreen have like six arms. Yeah. So it's very complicated. <laughs> so they were not supposed to be able to communicate very well, but somebody rolled like a 20 on their, uh, they did took like a couple days of training with a young Thrykreen girl um, so they could talk. But every time the player was talking to them, this bug person, um, he would pull his legs up on the chair and basically like gesticulate with his hands and his feet (laughs) to show me like he's speaking in sign language to them. And he always did that. And now like sometimes I just find myself making this hand motion. so funny. uh, That you can't see obviously. Um, But it it was just so unique and you had to be there. (laughs) No, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, we've told the story before of uh, my good friend, Chris Conley uh, playing a character in what was that uh, dungeon crawl classics um, and he had this mm-hmm. strange disgusting hermit of a character named beetle that just writhed and twisted his body <laughs> and moved to and fro in this sickly it's like a fortune teller cross with a snake <laughs> very evocative yeah. oh and and, and like no it one adds a whole to make level when you do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's irreplaceable. Um, and like his voice wasn't all that crazy. It was just like, uh, "Hello there," but like with him moving, like just to and fro, <laughs> it was the most mesmerizing, strange thing I've ever seen. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then uh, just to finish off, uh, I've seen people uh, make use of, of some interesting props while playing. Have you guys ever ever seen uh, people use props to like like get more into character? Um, I have used props that I've given to players, like in the form of contracts I had to sign or like maps they could look at, but for like getting into character, no. I mean, I have my wizard hat, but <laughs> oh, that's always on. <laughs> I'm always wearing hat. <laughs> yeah, now we're getting into the bad stereotype of D and D. Um, no, I, I've I've seen on the D and D subreddit uh, a character had like a hook hand. Um, I think that's from like almost like going back to uh, the Peter Pan. With like the kids, and one of them has like he's like I'm Captain Hook, and he just has like a coat hanger um, in mm. his hand. Insolent boy, I'll slash you to ribbons, and I'll cut you to pieces. Um, you know stuff like that. Um, one player I saw did something really interesting, and his his player was a chain smoker, uh, who was just like always smoking cigarettes. Uh, and he just he bought from Amazon like you know a hundred packs of candy cigarettes. <laughs> and just always had one in his in his mouth. And it was awesome, right? Like, he was always holding it like it was an actual cigarette. It was just, like, you know, fake puffing and, like, you know, chewing on it and replacing <laughs> it when it wore down. And it was wonderful. Like, it, it was so delightful. So I don't know how relevant that is, but occasionally you could use props um, to better uh, role play as your character. You know, you don't want – you might want to pump the brakes if it turns into LARPing. Actually, who am I kidding? Pump the gas if it turns into LARPing. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm about. <laughs> no, I think that's cool. Like Using props, if it helps you get into character, it'll probably help the other players get into character Everyone. too. Because they're going to feel like they're, they're more there. Yes. Yeah. We're going to create a sentient magic item. Uh, Jake, get your dice ready. We're going to start rolling... First, we're going to determine how the item communicates. Uh, D Jake, roll a D100. That's a 98. Oh, Whoa. that's very high. So it can speak, read, and understand one or more languages and can communicate telepathically with anybody who carries the item. So this is the oh, dream so it's, it's of... Very sentient. Uh, we're going to roll for its senses. Roll a D4. D4. That is a 1. They have hearing and normal vision out to 30 feet. Give me a D100 for its alignment. That is a 61. Uh, that gives you a lawful neutral. This is, we're, we're getting really lucky with these rolls. Okay, yeah. next is the special purpose, a roll a D10. That is a two. Two is Bane. This item seeks to defeat or destroy creatures of a particular kind, such as fiends, shape changers, trolls, or wizards. It's definitely some sort of chaotic thing that it's searching out, searching out because it's yeah, it's good. like a crusader. It's, it's lawful neutral. Yeah, yeah. It's like crusader. Okay, uh, we're gonna roll a major beneficial property. Roll a D one hundred. That is a twenty one. 21 says, while attuned to this artifact, you gain 1d6 hit points at the start of your turn if you have at least one. Whoa. What? That's really good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. That's insane. Okay. It has a detrimental effect. Um, give me a d100 again. That is an, an 88. 88 says, while you are attuned to this artifact, animals within 30 feet of you are hostile toward oh, you. Weird. What? Oh, that, that's great. This is hard to work with. 
So no, this is definitely I'm some kind of crusader this. item. All right, Jake, okay, what are you thinking for this strange blade? That's, okay, that's so, okay. So in my world, uh, there is uh, lawful neutral. The, the god of lawful neutral is Mechanus, which is like this kind of clockwork king, like uh, god of oh. all everything order. And then chaotic neutral is uh, the wild mother, which is like the goddess of all of plants, nature. animals, nature. And so I like that that like this this weapon is like kind of this clockwork a weapon that like animals hate for some reason like like anything like nature is just straight up opposed to it um so so that that's what the that's the flavor i'm getting i don't know what the type of weapon yet we can develop that but maybe that's... it's a shield oh because it helps restore hp yeah oh so maybe it's a shield instead because this is a good so item. it's protector like... against chaos yeah. Yeah. This is like a. Um, so it, so I'd say this is like a good like uh, legendary item. You know. Yeah. You know, it, it'd probably be like a plus one. Are we gonna let? Are we agreeing to make it a shield? Yeah, that sounds yeah. good. Plus one. Okay. Okay. So I like the shield looking like a big cog. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Yeah. Like just just a big cog, um, and like the cog whenever you hold it is like always like kind of going. Chuh, chuh and like spinning almost in like i'm imagining have you guys seen the uh uh the great mouse detective and they're fighting in big bin at the end and there's all these oh you're talking about a uh, great mouse detective yes yeah yeah that's what i'm imagining it's like this big cog that like slowly just goes like <laughs> so <laughs> so i'm imagining it's what if shield. because it's mechanical it's so i have this i have this idea for it it's it's like this mechanical shield that attaches to your back and it has like a folding arm. So it doesn't require any hands to use. So it just kind of hovers around because it is sentient and it can talk. Okay. So oh, it like attaches good. to your player. So you can use two handed items with it without and still have the shield equipped as well because it's so funny. it kind of attaches okay. to you. There's That's too good. That, that There has to be a disadvantage. I would say is like that? minus 10 movement speed. Yeah, oh, because you're sense. a little bit slower. That, that makes, makes sense. Yeah. That okay, I like that then. No, that's good. That's good. So it's like this this kind of mechanical thing that's like um almost installed onto you like an exoskeleton that can kind of like and move around to kind of clockwork its way to it defend against yeah. anything. Yeah. Yeah, okay, what does it sound I, I, like? I'm so this is kind of like Iron Man's suit, but yeah. instead of um like it's it's yeah. on your body, but it's not a suit, it's just a shield that blocks you. Yeah. So the voice is like Jarvis. From, oh, uh, like this, this like kind-hearted British uh, manservant. <laughs> at your service, sir. Well, well, it's kind of dry and witty. It's like there's someone at the rear. <laughs> Blocking. You probably avoid the fireball coming right at you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, yeah, I like that would it. be fun. Yeah. Okay, but so what else were we missing? So. So we're essentially it's like a, a plus one shield that you don't have to it, it doesn't require an offhand it, it, but it's heavy as hell so it's like minus ten movement speed um, and oh yeah and all animals within a certain range hate you like loathe you yeah <laughs> I love that like like you're in Maybe the middle of the battle makes noise and it's like there's like the... yeah it sends out like the what's the, and like dogs the dog start whistle. attacking you. Yeah, like the dog whistle yeah. where it's like no one can hear it except like all the animals. And they're just like annoyed by it. And the wild mother is just like mm. attacked on sight. 
Oh, like I'm matching your fighting so stuff. So like it's a disadvantage on stealth. Down. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, be disadvantaged on stealth against animals, at least. For sure. Um, but I yeah. think if and if animals are on you, then also like obviously people are hearing animal yeah. sounds. So maybe you would have like a funny thing where you you basically have a random uh, encounter just for this person with a, a chance of an encounter. Oh my! God. Like uh, every turn of combat, like one in twelve or something, and oh, it's just like yeah, a hawk yeah, swoops yeah. down and scratches you and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That's, or some oh, rats just start nipping. That's delightful. <laughs> so um, the I guess the final thing then is what is the name of this item? Hmm. Do we need like a because uh, this thing is like a, a made in mechanist like this was forged in the realm of law yeah. or is it is it lawful good or is it just um lawful neutral. it's just lawful, lawful neutral okay. so that's perfect it's like the the mechanical defender mm. the uh so i feel like the name is going to be more like a title and less like a name like um uh the shield of order or uh the clock stopper i don't know the clocks uh <laughs> tick tock <laughs> um what's the, yeah i'm trying to think yeah. oh like the everlasting cog the uh i imagine it's a part of a larger <laughs> oh it's a fragment of a bigger mechanical oh, creature huge yeah. machine <laughs> yes that's great like the, the, the cog the everlasting cog stopper <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm about the, to cog uh... stomp you boy <laughs> i i like it just be like the cog with a trademark at the end of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like that a lot the cog cog, or just cog yeah no that's good that's good oh man i love this i might institute this in to i might introduce this to my game because i i have a a warlock of mechanists in my game could I wield Mason the Mace in one hand and the cog in the, <laughs> the cog. Okay, just floating Abs- nearby? Absolutely, but I feel like they would just uh, they would uh, disagree with each other frequently. <laughs> like they're constantly fact, bickering. <laughs> I would rule that one refuses to work for you while the other is on you, so you can only attune oh, to one of them. Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> they just are, are bickering. Oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and, and then it's just like drawing like there's, it's impossible for anyone in your group to stealth yeah. with their shouting yeah they're just like stop this no you stop no <laughs> oh man okay well that is uh the cog the the magic item that we've created is now feel free it's all yours if you want to steal it it's, it's all yours thank you for listening to boxer canna episode 48 i'm william i'm jake and I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at Podcast, And you can email questions to Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs>